This is the fourth time Paul Selig has been on my podcast, and for good reason. He is transmitting some of the most important spiritual information of anyone I have ever seen. Now, his process is a little bit different than what many of you, if this is the first time listening to Paul Selig, might expect. He is receiving information from what he calls the guides, and then translating that information and just speaking it. So he's going to mumble what he hears in his own mind and then actually express it audibly for the audience to hear. Paul has become a great friend over the years, and I think you're going to love everything he has to offer in this podcast, as I always do as well. But before we get started, I want to talk to you guys about native deodorant. Now, many of you might remember that Onnit used to make deodorants ourselves. And the reason why is because what you put on your body goes in your body. And the armpits are particularly sensitive to dermal transmission of everything. So honestly, if you wouldn't take your deodorant and treat it like an ice cream cone and give it a lick, you should not be putting it on your body, period. Especially deodorants that have aluminum. Now, aluminum is very difficult for the body to handle, and there's clinical research about the absorption of aluminum through the armpits. So be very mindful of that, and just shop for dope deodorant with really good natural ingredients like Native. Native has 10 different scents, so you're going to find something that you liked, and it's completely risk-free to try. So you have free shipping within the U.S., free 30-day returns and exchanges, and check it out. It's got 14,000 five-star reviews because people love it. All kinds of people in my office are using it. They love it. So if you're a deodorant person, just don't even think about it. This is the one. And honestly, if Onnit was going to be making deodorants, my very first call would be to, to Native to be like, hey, do you want to partner on some stuff? Because they're crushing it. They're really making an excellent product. So go to nativedeo.com slash Marcus or use the promo code Marcus at checkout to get 20% off your first order. That's nativedeo.com slash Marcus or the promo code Marcus at checkout and get your 20% off. Paul, it's good to see you, my friend. It's good to see you, Aubrey. Thanks. Yeah. So you're, uh, you're in Hawaii now, and this is your new temporary home as in the midst of all of this mayhem. It's where I, where I ended up. It wasn't, (laughs) I was in Costa Rica, New York shut down and I ended up here and I've been here since. So I'm grateful to be here. There certainly could be worse places on this fine planet to be isolating. Um, well, there's so much going on, and I'm really eager to talk to you about it. And I know that uh, you have a new book called Alchemy that's releasing, and I've gotten to dive in a little bit um, to that. But there's just so much going on. I'm sure we'll touch on a lot of the themes that have been uh, coming through you for that. Um, so, you know, ultimately, and I've heard some of your transmissions as this has gone on, you know, we're in the midst of what the guides call a reckoning of sorts. You know, I mean, really, what is uh, what are what are they really talking about during this time, and and what does a reckoning really mean for us to understand? I mean, in the first book that they dictated through me, which was called "I Am the Word," which was in two thousand, they dictated in two thousand and nine. They said, you know, a re- humanity is at a time of reckoning, and a reckoning, they said, is a facing of oneself and all of one's creations, and that everything that's been created in fear needs to be reseen or reknown in a new way. 
So, you know, they say things like, you know, individuals have karma, countries have karma, communities have karma. And essentially, I'm not saying that this is a great karmic moment, but they are saying that we're now perceiving or being asked to perceive what we've been in accord with, what we've supported consciously or unconsciously, because things need to be changing. They've been talking about this consistently for years. And it's funny because, you know, when when stuff really started to hit the fan, um, people started writing me and sending quotes from, you know, things the guys had said in the past that were really somewhat prescient, you know, and I was surprised, but they said in, in, in a book called The Book of Truth, which they dictated just before the last presidential election, that, you know, everything that's been hidden was about to be seen, and that none of that was necessarily going to be a comfortable process, but it was an essential process. They said, you know, it's like your life becomes an excavation site. You know, what was buried five weeks ago and 5,000 weeks ago is going to be exhumed. And the purpose of this, I understand, is so that things can be brought to the light and transformed, reseen. They say nothing is healed when it is hidden. So the process that we're in, I suspect, in some ways, is a process of, of getting to see what's always been there that we've chosen not to look at. And I think that we're in this collective situation, and they've talked about this, you know, we haven't had a sort of collective experience like the ones that we're having on a planetary level in a long, long time, and that this is great opportunity. I mean, they continue to frame things as great opportunity, and also how we make it through things is very much our choice. How we opt to sort of attend to what's before us and who's beside us. They say again and again and again, the action of fear is to claim more fear. And, you know, if we're making choices in fear or we're making choices in violence or we're making choices to, to blame, we're not going to have a very easy time of, of what's before us. Yeah, I was just reading in Alchemy that they actually describe karma as opportunity. And so where some people might think, oh, well, this is our karma. We've been punished by quotations, God, because we were bad. And then God gave us COVID and now we're being punished. You know, you, you hear this kind of thing from, you know, different ministers throughout the time, like, you know, blaming these natural events on our own sins. I think probably goes all the way back to Sodom and Gomorrah, this story of being punished as a whole civilization for our sexual misconducts and this idea. But that's not what the guides are talking. They're just talking about these universal events as karmic opportunities so that we can learn as individuals in the classroom of evolution. They say that everything's an opportunity to learn. I don't know that they've called COVID a karmic event. I think that we tend to think selfishly, I think, as a country, as individuals. It's about me and I created this. Or, And, you know, what we tend to forget is that the collective is also making choices and that we're in agreement with the collective. And a lot of, I think, what we're having to see now is the ramifications of collective choice. And how do we attend to these things that we've perhaps been participatory to, but in denial of, because it's much more convenient to pretend that as long as we're getting our individual needs met, everything must be okay. And I think things probably have not been okay for quite some time. Right. And getting to see that, you know, and again, that becomes opportunity. You know, it's the opportunity to reperceive, to re-see, you know, and I suspect perhaps see 
as the guides would say, you know, with new eyes, alchemy was dictated before all this stuff <laughs> was going yeah. on. And now it's going on and you go, okay, well, here we go. You know, <laughs> they've been talking about and, you know, and, and, it, it, and it's hopeful, I suspect as well, just not comfortable. You know, yeah. not this I think is comfortable or is it necessarily intended to be? Yeah. One of the teachings that the guides have also talked about consistently is the way that we see something is important. If we see war as the horror of war, that's our own kind of agreement to that construct. And in that way, it got me thinking, and whether you want to answer this or if the guides feel compelled to answer it, either way, but how do you see something, or not something like, but how do you see COVID-19 in the higher way? How do you see it not as what the societal story is but how do you see that in a higher way well you know i'm challenged by this stuff you know i have to say that right off the bat i have a hard time with it but the guides have said again and again and again and again that there's one note playing in the entire universe and that one note that one sound or tone is articulated as everything we see so if you want to call it God or source or whatever, is the foundational note being played. And they say that the greatest problem, the only problem we really face is what they call the denial of the divine, the denial of God, to say that God can't be where that thing is that we think is so terrible. Because they say what you put in darkness calls you to that darkness, what you damn damns you back. It's really simple stuff, what you bless blesses you in return. So what they're talking about now in their books, and I'm trying to keep up with the teachings because they come fast, and I'm sitting there taking the dictation, and the dictation is transcribed, and that becomes the book, and there's no editing. You know, what they're talking about is this thing called the upper room, which they say is a, a higher mind, a higher level of consciousness that is available to us. You know, we've been operating as if there's this false ceiling, which is this idea of separation, and very much have created a world that operates in accord with that. They say when you lift to what they call the upper room, which is what they're teaching, everything can be lifted to that, which is again to the mind of God or the divine that is already present. So what I understand about this is that they're talking about something called rearticulation or transposing. They say any song can be sung in a higher octave. You know, you can sing any song here, up there, up there, and beyond what we can even perceive of or conceive of as sound. It still exists, even if it's not available to the ears. And they seem to be talking about all of these things being lifted through consciousness. So they begin to say that you align to a level of vibration, you, Aubrey, me, Paul, anybody who chooses this, aligning in what they call the upper room at this level of tone or vibration, and that the tone of your expression or your resonant field then becomes what lifts what you encounter. And basically, it's the idea that God sees God in everything, and what you put outside of God, you're denying the action of the divine in. So the idea is always about reclamation, reclaiming things as of the divine so that they can be reseen or transformed. It's not about saying, oh, this is a good thing, or oh, I support this act that I could never agree to. It's not about that. It's in some ways almost a deconstruction 
of meaning, what we've, the meaning that we've endowed everything is. The guides have said things like, you can't lift the evil man to the upper room because you've made him evil and you've aligned to him at that level of vibration, which is, again, who you put in darkness, what you put in darkness calls you to that level of tone or vibration. So when you go up there, you actually have to re-perceive the man, perhaps beyond his acts, beyond what's been you know, prescribed or what we've been taught to believe. So this whole idea of sort of meaning and what things are supposed to mean that we endow great power to tends to support what we've had. So I'm going to ask them since we're going here, and I don't know what they're going to say, and I hope I don't <laughs> this, but I'll see if I can channel it's morning here. <laughs> now it's, a, it's an odd morning for me. So let me just see if I get anything on things like COVID or, or what we're experiencing, the idea of what you see is must be understood. They're saying the idea of what you see must be understood. Everything is idea. Everything is idea. And the idea is encoded with meaning. And the idea is encoded with meaning, endowed with properties and power, endowed with properties and power. We don't deny the disease. We don't deny the disease that you encounter, that you encounter, but we do reperceive it. But we do reperceive it in a higher vibrational field, in a higher vibrational field when something is lifted to higher, when something is lifted to the higher beyond the idea of fear, beyond the idea of fear, indeed, it can be renowned. Indeed, it can be renowned, rearticulated if you wish, rearticulated if you wish, as of its source, as of its source. What you deny the divine in, what you deny the divine in becomes your challenge, becomes your challenge, period, 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 and they're saying period. Yeah. You know, I think that that's, that's really well said, of course, as it always is from the guide. One of the challenges, I think, is instead of re-articulating what this is and, re- and claiming it in a new way, we try to rationalize it. We say, oh, well, this is coming to us because, and we always say because, oh, because this is an opportunity for us to have a reckoning with our own uh, adoption of fear. And it's because of that, then it makes sense. But I think there's some things that our mind, our purview is just too small to actually understand the universal because of something as big as COVID. We're just trying to make a story that makes sense to us, but it's really bigger than that. I agree with you. And I was thinking about this the other day. You know, you know, the guides talk about frames sometimes in their books. You know, like we're operating with these frames, like, you know, I'm not good enough as a frame. And the purpose of the frame is to continue to accrue the evidence of the idea or the frame. And I think what everybody's doing right now out of sheer fear or need or some desire to exert some control is to put a frame on all this stuff so that it becomes manageable. You understand? And I don't know that it's manageable at that level. I think we're being invited to have an experience of the unknown. And the unknown is, I don't know what's going to happen with this stuff. I don't really have an idea. And every idea that I have is going to be based on some presumption of evidence of what has been prior. You understand this? So the guides say every time you're saying it should be this way, you're calling an idea of the past to, to create from, you know, should doesn't exist without a precedent. Right. So this idea of entering into the unknown without the toolkit that the small self or the egoic structure has maintained to sort of exert control, that's a very new place for everybody to be at the same time. You know, we all have these moments in our lives, I think, when we don't know what's going to happen. You get a diagnosis, you lose a relationship, everything that you thought you trusted in changes. 
But suddenly we're having a collective experience of this, which I think is pretty extraordinary. You know, the guides I work with used to say sometimes when they do workshops, they say to people, you know, you don't have to go home again after this. <laughs> go home. And people go, what? And they said, you know, you really, you're choosing to go home. You're leaving this room. You're choosing to go back to what you knew, but you just know that you're in choice. And it happened to me, which is the craziest thing. <laughs> I was in Costa Rica. I was, I packed for a week. Oh my God, I was with the sitter. I was in Costa Rica. Suddenly, you know, New York is shutting down. And the next thing I know, I'm getting on a plane to a place I've never been to stay in a tiny house, you know, I was crazy, but it was extraordinary because all of my mechanisms to sort of maintain my idea of who I was, who I should be, how things should work, were completely lost to me. And I've learned an enormous amount through this, and I'm very grateful for that. And I'm fortunate, you know, that I can work from wherever I am and other people don't have that, you know, that ability. But I think that the collective is now experiencing. How can I? So I'm going to go to the guys. The, the collective is experiencing what it means not to be in control. <laughs> that's that's the drop jaw. Whenever they go like, that's like the aha moment, you know? Yeah. And what I think that results in is polarization and everybody trying to find a stake in something that can make some sense and to rationalize it, whether it's somebody saying this is sin. You know, the guides have said for a long time, you know, they said it right before the last presidential election. There's a lecture. It's actually up online called Great Change. It was like three days when everybody thought the outcome was assured. And the guides said, uh, you all think of choice as, you know, I'm going to have the milk or the cream in my coffee. And they said, what's about to happen is what happened when the table that was holding the milk and the cream turns over. And then what are you dealing with? Something very, very, very different. And they've talked about this as a time of great change. They've been saying it, you know, relentlessly. And, you know, the guides don't teach you know, Armageddon. They don't, they don't teach that. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a loving, hopeful teaching. It is not a fear-based teaching, but it's a really a teaching of accountability and mm. personal accountability and collective accountability. And people sort of want, I suspect, a, spiritual, a spirituality that's sort of sufficient, you know, which is I can have God when I feel like it, or I can have a spiritual life as it suits me. And that's all very true. You can have those things. But I suspect that we're at a time now where we're being invited to reassess what we thought was so, who we thought we were, because suddenly when you don't have the job you had or the marriage falls apart or, you know, everything that you thought sort of claimed you with a sense of identity is suddenly challenged. We have great opportunity to see perhaps who we might be beyond those things you know, beyond the mask that we self-identified through, so. All right, everyone, this commercial is for men. So if you're one of our amazing women listeners, you can go ahead and hit that fast forward 30 button because what I'm gonna be talking about is checking your male hormone levels to make sure that you don't have low testosterone. The stats are one in four men over 30 are low in testosterone and might have a hormone imbalance. 
So the only way to really know, I mean, there's some symptoms that you might see. You might have ED, low sex drive, anxiety, brain fog, hard time making decisions. There's a lot of things that are attributed to different hormone imbalances that are good to kind of look at. But really the only way to know is to get checked. And especially right now, the most convenient way to get checked is to order your own test kit from letsgetchecked.com. So you go to Let's Get Checked, they send you the test kit, you do it yourself, and then you send it back, and then you figure out where you're at. And then once you figure out where you're at, you can link up with one of the many doctors that can help provide you with the solution to help you get your hormones balanced. So go to trylgc.com slash Aubrey. You'll get 20% off the test. That's T-R-Y-L-G-C.com slash Aubrey for 20% off your hormone test. And then once you get the results, it just might change your fucking life. Thanks, fam. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things come up. One, I think as we step into this unknown, beyond the known, where we don't have as much control, you'll see people scramble for control. Fear makes you want to control more. So whether it's the precautions that we're taking individually or nationalistically, which may be advised or may not be, whatever your opinion is, that's fine. You're entitled to that. But it's all an attempt to maintain control and and try and control whether we get this or whether we don't. And in so many ways, even control and understanding even our own understanding is a a mechanism of control like so many people have said well you should see all the planets in retrograde of course this is going on right now but in that way that frame is a way that they can understand anticipate control their understanding of the unknown and what's going to happen by some astrological timetable that they're like aha i figured it out i cracked the code when really maybe you didn't (laughs) maybe this is just we're in the fucking unknown and here we are and that's just our choice how we respond to it very much so you know and i i suspect when we can begin to see it as opportunity we're going to make higher choices or better choices you know this is an opportunity to re-know who we are how things have been operating and really what we've been in collective agreement to you know what we sort of said was okay perhaps even if it wasn't so okay so i i stay hopeful but i really understand because i have it too this need to sort of you know, I, I, it was a relief for me. Mercury's in retrograde. That's my wife. My wife my, <laughs> this sucks. You know, it's like, okay, that's fine. Well, you know, perhaps, but it gives me some comfort, you right. know, to be able to exert just that level of control. In spite of all the information I get, you know, this is still an enormous challenge. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So here's a question that I that I have. You know, one of the consistent teachings is that, you know, it's, incredibly important to identify as the true self the monad the the part of us that's actually the same amongst every individual now with the social justice movement that's been going on there are legitimate claims for communities whether it's a sex a sexual oriented gender a sexual orientation a race the communities have been marginalized so in that aspect, it is important to identify identities based on our own prejudices and constructs we have marginalized so that we can help make the corrections and reparations necessary. But at the same time, I think we're running the risk of being, you know, overdoing it to a certain extent and denying the fact that ultimately at the truest level, we are all the same. So there's this kind of there's this tension between how much we identify the the construct these identity constructs and how much we actually say 
Well, actually, in truth, we're all the same force of the same source. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I mean, I, I, the guy that talked about this, they started talking about these things about three books ago, which surprised me. They started talking about, you know, the prison systems and, and how we, basically, they say, you know, you are your brother's keeper. You always have been. It's not convenient, but it's true. Now, I suspect that we can move to a place of realization where we know this to be true. You know, I'm not my age. The guides say this, I'm not my age, I'm not my gender, I'm not my religion, my ethnicity, but these are ways of being known and they have value and importance. They're ways of being known. And in some ways, it's how we're choosing to engage in this collective landscape. So I think the great opportunity now, it's not to sort of increase the idea of separation. Frankly, you've got to bring everybody to the table so that you can share the meal. And if somebody is excluded from the table for any reason, the meal is not shared, which is the collective experience. So we have to have everybody there first. And I think some of that is happening now in ways that are, are, are long overdue. You know, I am an old teacher, you know, I taught college for 25 years, you know, and um, I learned an enormous amount just about being, you know, from that. My first teaching gig when I was, you know, out of the blue was in a, in a high school in, in the Bronx where I was one of the only white faces. And boy, was that illumining for me. Boy, mm. did I get to see how far off I was. I was a 20, 29-year-old, 28, 29-year-old guy who was just out of Yale, grad school, you know, I was really clueless. And it's not that I'm so aware now, I'm more aware now. But I don't think that these ideas are exclusive. The idea of claiming and celebrating your, your ethnicity, the idea of, you know, enjoying the great heritage that can come from a religious background. But that's not all we are, you know, it just isn't. Right. It's a way of being known. It's a valuable part of our experience, but it's not at a level, finally, of essence. It's not only who we are, nor could it ever be. Where I think we get stuck is when we become rigid about these things. You know, um, when I was 22, I had platinum blonde hair and I was skinny, you know, and I don't have any hair and I'm not so skinny. (laughs) That's who I was. It was a valid experience that I had of being, and this is a valid experience too. It's just a different way of being known and known in exchange with a landscape that is frankly a shared opportunity to learn. That's what this really is. Yeah. What is the, you know, have the guides, I don't know if the guides have talked about it, but what is the best way when we see some of these things that we want to resist, uh, racism, bigotry, some aspects of the patriarchy. Like what is the best way to show up in resistance to these things? Because again, that which you damn damns you back, there's these kind of claims of it. So how do we show up in resistance to these things that we don't like? Resistance may be the wrong word, you know, because Mm -hmm. I suspect that, I'm going to ask them in a minute, but I suspect that the guides would say, you know, what you resist, you're actually endowing with power. You know, Mm -hmm. you're actually in still at loggerheads with, and that's not the way they say change happens. They talk about change happening through re-knowing. You have to lift above it and then lift what you see to it. And they talk about this in metaphysical terms, which is the realization of the presence of the divine. That's what changes things, not through condemnation, but through realization. Now, 
I may have said that wrong because maybe there's a place for condemnation. There is well, they're saying indeed there is, but you're using the wrong word to describe what we mean. But you're using the wrong word to describe what we mean. Each of you says yes. Each of you says yes to what you see, to what you see, everything you see, everything you see. You are in vibrational accord too, which means you're aligned with it. Which means you are in alignment with which which means the consciousness that you hold is actually confirming what you see, is actually confirming what you see and embedding it with meaning and embedding it with meaning, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be an idolatry, in idolatry, all of these ideas, all of these ideas, ways of being seen and seeing, ways of being seen and seeing in form matter, in form matter when you live to a higher level of emotion, when you live to a higher level of vibration, a moment of fear, when you are no longer operating in fear, seeking to announce yourself, seeking to announce yourself as the correct one, as the correct one, which is self-righteousness, which is self-righteousness, which is indeed the small self, which is indeed the small self seeking to be seen as powerful, seeking to be seen as powerful. You can re-know what something truly is. You can re-know what something truly is, the act of re-knowing, the act of re-knowing, re-perceiving, re-perceiving, seeing the inherent divine, seeing the inherent divine where it appears to be in lack, where it appears to be in lack will actually transform what you see, will actually transform what you see and give you great opportunity and give you great opportunity to be catalytic, to be catalytic to great change, to great change, but to confirm what you don't like, but to confirm what you don't like, confirm it and continue to confirm it actually confirms the expression of it actually confirms the expression of it. In other words, in other words, that terrible thing, that terrible thing does not disappear, does not disappear by being called terrible, by being called terrible. It transforms. It transforms when it can be seen, when it can be seen as holding a new opportunity, as holding a new opportunity. Nothing will change. Nothing will change until it is first seen as potential. Underline the word potential. Underline the word potential. It means a possibility. It means a Possibility of what be renowned, everyone of what may be renowned or reborn. Period. Period. Pretty much same period. It's makes a, it makes total sense because instead of being anti something, what they're saying is to be pro the opposite. You know, so in certain ways, right? Like, and that's the way to condemn it. The, the way to resist it, condemn it, fight it is not to resist or condemn. It's actually to support and and raise your level of vibration to the thing that's not that which is in inclusion, radical love, you know, acceptance of everybody for who they truly are, you know, instead of being anti-sexist, anti-racist, anti, you know, patriarchy, be pro-radical equality, you know, universal. And, and that seems to make a lot of sense to me. Well, they're saying that's where the opportunity lies. Right. That's the opportunity. The opportunity is not to go back in to the bloody battlefield, you know. I mean, that's really what we've done. You know, the guides have said, you know, war, we've lived with war for so long, we think we're always going to have it, you know, and consequently perpetuate it. You know, we expect to see what we get. And until we can live to a level of consciousness where war isn't an option, when we wouldn't even consider that, you know, we're probably going to have it. And that's a possibility, you know, that's a possibility, but we don't attend to it as such. So we end up perpetuating what we've had, even when we know it doesn't work. It really doesn't. Yeah. So again, it's even the same model. Instead of focusing so much on anti-war, warring against war, you know, 
why don't you go pro peace peacefully peacefully in favor of peace <laughs> you know like that seems to be the the thing that's going to be the most effective just from a purely pragmatic not even metaphysical standpoint but from a pragmatic standpoint absolutely yeah well let's change gears a little bit because i've had uh, some pretty radical shifts in my own life i recently got married i don't know if uh <laughs> thank you yeah got married a couple of weeks ago to vilana and it was a really, it was a really um, paradigm-altering experience, and it kind of opens up my uh, my mind to some different possibilities, which I wanted to talk to you and the guides about. But the first experience was one in which we were both in meditation, and we had no agenda for this meditation. It was just we were both dropping into a meditation assisted by some ketamine, and we're in this meditation as just a general spiritual practice, and all of a sudden. Both of us experience what feels like our souls, which to me are always kind of visioned like these uh, spherical orbs when I see them in my vision. But these things, it just kind of overlaid over each other. And we had this shared vision of our souls overlaying over each other, two whole complete souls. It wasn't like a Jerry Maguire, you complete me, like there were two puzzle pieces that snapped in or something. It was like two complete souls that overlaid. And in the overlay, there was this kind of reinvigoration of energy and it felt like in that moment even though we weren't together at all our souls formed a union and that was like this just kind of like mind-blowing moment where our souls kind of formed this union and then that's been kind of the guide star and so many other things have come that way so much healing so much growth a lot of beautiful things have come and, and kind of accelerated us on this path to actually you know make concrete this union through the you know, through through marriage and through that kind of practice, which we've rearticulated in our own mind. But nonetheless, um, it brings me to this kind of question about this idea of sacred union or this idea of twin flames, this idea of on a soul level, what is happening and why why are these ideas in the zeitgeist, you know, and not necessarily for me personally, but just in generality, like, is there such a thing as souls that have that some in some way perhaps share an oversoul that's a theory that's out there this twin flame theory like souls can share an oversoul and be different articulations of the same soul or is it this long-standing agreement that souls have had to continue to teach each other and learn through the union there or is this just the small self finding some way to say you know ah this must be the soul yeah they don't talk much about this they haven't um Although once they corrected me because I was doing a reading for somebody and they said, I want to know who my twin flame is and, or, you know, something like that. And I said, well, I don't think there is such a thing. And the guy said, oh, indeed there is, you know, because <laughs> it wasn't, I thought it was one of those sort of titles that gets bandied about. Sure. You know, I'm me too. I'm my soulmate, you know. So let me see if I actually, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for you if that's okay. Okay. Yeah, please. It's about for you. And maybe I can then go to the universal. You actually come through like you were really ready for this. Like you were really ready to dig in, to dig your heels in. And you're actually saying it was too fast. It was all too fast. It was all too fast. Mm -hmm. I needed to re-see who I was. And that was about stopping long enough to see who you were with somebody else in a, in a, a real way. And when I go to you with this relationship, you're like, huh? You're almost saying, like, did this happen? So I'm, I'm going to go to the higher, if I can, mm -hmm. and 
there's anything about this. It's all opportunity. It's all opportunity. Union is opportunity to know self in union. Union is opportunity to know the self in union, to know the self in union. It's not a prerequisite for being. It is not a prerequisite for being. It's the way many of you choose to learn. It's the way many of you choose to learn the obligation to another. The obligation to another through a contract, through a contract must be understood, must be understood as long as you are maintaining choice. As long as you are maintaining choice, you are sovereign. You are sovereign when you're debasing the self. When you are de- Debasing the self, relying on another for fortitude, relying on another for fortitude in ways not supportive of you, in ways that are not supportive of you, you will be challenged. You will be challenged. The contract itself, the contract itself is only as useful, is only as useful as what is behind it, as what is behind it, when love is behind it. When love is behind it, you have opportunity, you have opportunity when the contract is motioning funds. When the contract is about negotiating funds or deciding or deciding who can be with whom who can be with whom and no one else, and no one else is operating in fear. It is operating in fear to choose marriage. To choose marriage as a way to learn, as a way to learn can be beneficial, can be beneficial, but it is not a requirement for to support itself, but it is not a requirement for a relationship to support itself. So that's them on marriage. But I want, I'm going to see if there's anything about sort mm. of unions or, or things like that when it, being incarnates. When a human being incarnate, there are individuals, there are individuals, he, she, it, he, she, it must understand, must understand, have come to teach, have come to teach through experience with them, through experience with them. These are the relationships we're discussing. These are the relationships you are discussing. Some are known in love, some are known in love, some less in love, some less in love than opportunity to face fear, than opportunity to face fear, learn through challenge, or learn through challenge. It's always for the soul's benefit. It's always for the soul's benefit to romanticize this to romanticize that I have met my soulmate, I have met my soulmate gives you an opportunity, gives you an opportunity to satisfy the need, to satisfy the need again, again, to call something by a name, to call something by a name that gives you a sense of authority, that gives you a sense of authority and control, my soulmate, my soulmate, not his or theirs, not his or theirs. <laughs> useful in some ways. This is useful in some ways, a stage of development, a stage of development, again, until you can find, but, in, but, but again, until you can find the entire world lover, that the entire world is your lover, you'll be disappointed. You will be disappointed in one human being, that one human being cannot maintain all your needs, cannot maintain all your needs, all your needs, period, in the same period. That's, you know, that's very much in accord with what I've kind of always believed and and then you have the personal experience which is like huh i wonder if there is something else but it seems like what the guides are saying is that's really not important what you call it or what you think the origin of this thing is what's important is is it is it loving and is it facilitating growth for both of you like is it is it a catapult and a lever that you can use to learn and and actually recognize the truth of who you are and if it is, great. That's what the soul is here to do anyway. So you are soul mates, but not to the exclusion of being mates to the whole world, which is all ways that your soul can learn. You're saying how you operate in union is up to both of you, and that's the choice. And that's the choice to move into plurality, to move into plurality and shared experience and share and shared experience while maintaining sovereignty, which is the individual ability, which is the individual's ability to claim identity, to claim identity and authority and authority in every exchange, in every exchange period, in the same period. Mm. When you look at the great spiritual masters that we have record of, at least for the most part, you know, all the way from 
Buddha to a more contemporary spiritual teacher like Ram Das, um, it's very rare that you see them in union, you know, where they're they're with a partner that there's it's kind of on the same platform as them, like holding hands and sharing this wisdom. You know, why is that? What is the reason why these, you know, spiritual teachers have really been in large part on their own? It's an interesting, it's an interesting question. You know, I'm here on Maui and I've been very lovingly taken in by the community that was surrounded surrounding Ramdas here. They've been inviting me over and it's been really a delightful experience for me to be a part of it because I find them all so pure in their intent and there it's a devotional community around a brilliant human being you know um let me ask this i mean i complain i'm I'm not saying i'm a great spiritual teacher at all i'm actually just a channel i'm not the teacher other people can get to be teachers but you know i complain about this all the time so maybe (laughs) maybe there's a context context. i actually hear there is a context in some ways a prerequisite and in some ways a prerequisite for this level of alignment for this level of alignment when you devote yourself to the teaching when you devote yourself to the teaching or to be the ambassador of teaching or to be the ambassador of a teaching as paul is choosing to do as paul is choosing to do you limit the self you limit the self in certain ways in certain ways your priority is set for you your priority is set for you at a level of soul at a level of soul if there comes a time if there comes a time when the prerequisite for the life you live where the prerequisite for the life you live is no longer to be the teacher is no longer to be the teacher or the wise one or the wise woman or the sage or the sage perhaps you will change your mind perhaps you will change your mind and encourage an experience and encourage an experience of marriage or union of marriage or union in fact not precluded this you are in fact not precluded from this from this by the choice to be at this level by the choice to be at this level but it becomes challenging but it becomes challenging because you must withstand the changes because you must withstand the changes that being the author of a teaching that being the author of a teaching claims you in claims you in which is a discomfort which is in discomfort in discomfort and challenging and challenging to most things to most things that you would assume for the self that you would assume for the self without it without it in other words in other words if you wish to go on this ride if you wish to go on this ride you must expect your baggage to be seen you must expect your baggage to be seen released released discarded discarded as you elevate in vibration as you elevate in vibration many relationships are maintained many relationships are maintained through obstacles through obstacles or through challenges or through challenges but it's hard to hold somebody's hands but it's hard to hold somebody's hand when you're in an elevator when you're in an elevator going upward going upward and they're choosing not to and they are choosing not to period that's something that i get a lot when i'm in you know coaching for the fit for service fellowship or you know a lot of people will talk about how they're on this path of growth you know and their partner is you know stubbornly kind of resisting the path of growth and the the kind of the and it's not even so much growth it's more of a process of excavation which the guides have done a great job reframing right we're always the true self we're always the enlightened one we're always who we always are but we just block that we put on masks and layers that prevent us so this process of excavating all of these other constructs of the mind and ego and small self so that we get to the true self of who we are and they have a partner who's in resistance in some ways to that thing and that's obviously if we are truly dedicated to actually recognizing the truth of who we are which from the guide's perspective is 
probably the most important thing that any human being can do, right? Is like recognize the truth of who we are, then that creates a pretty obvious tension. And so I could suppose that in cases of spiritual masters, whoever they are, male or female, they would have to find someone who was no not hindering their ability to recognize the truth of who they are, but was actually accelerating it mutually so. Well, I actually hear that's accurate and different than you think, and different than you think a relationship have. Every relationship you have is is an opportunity for growth and finally no one can stop your growth and finally no one can stop your growth but you it is always choice it is always choice the small self would like to say the small self would like to say i am becoming a master i am becoming a master i cannot be bound i cannot be bound where the true self may say when the true self may say the one before me is of god the one before me is of god i will learn love through this relationship i will learn love through this relationship and i will unmask myself and i will unmask myself beyond what I thought I was, beyond what I thought I was to maintain it, to maintain it. You may learn through your choices. You may learn through your choices. They may not be what you would choose. They may not be what you would choose at a level level of persona, but they will lift you, but they will lift you. This does not mean you have to be alone. This does not mean you have to be alone. Take a great lover. You take a great lover when you go on this path, when you go on this path, which is the divine, which is the divine as all things as all things, period, 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 in the same period. Hmm. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. Uh, there's also some discussion that you know Jesus, as a man, may have been the actually exception to this. In that, a lot of people think that the true history of Mary Magdalene was redacted from you know the Bible and biblical literature, and that she was actually a a really strong force in recognizing the Christ consciousness within jesus and also recognizing christ conscious in general that's why it bears the name christ consciousness because he was able to access that is there have the guides ever talked about you know mary's mary's role that kind of feminine you know polarity i don't think so i mean but i am in agreement with you that she was you know a hugely important part of of that ministry um Mm -hmm. but no they haven't talked about it they don't very, very rarely do they talk about when when they talk about masculine and feminine. They don't talk. Of, they talk about it as principles, as vibrational principles. They tend people tend to want to relegate it to gender, and I don't know that that's right. necessarily what this is really about. So I haven't heard a lot about it. But this is just not a subject. They don't they speak to, you know, in the very first book that they dictated, I think the masculine pronoun was used extensively. And there was a woman who was present for the dictations, Victoria Nelson, who complained about it. And the guide said, we're speaking, when we use the word man, we're speaking to humanity. But in the next book, they got so inclusive with the pronouns that they would actually switch them in the middle of a sentence. The copy editor went crazy, you know, (laughs) realizes that she must know herself. It was like, whoa. But basically, that was, I think, the principle that it's malleable. You know, these are ways of knowing the self. They are not who you are. I remember once they, you know, said something to the effect of, you know, this isn't about genitals, you know, it really isn't at at all. That's not what they're talking about, you know, when they're speaking to the truth of who and what we are. Again, it doesn't exclude. I'm going to see if they want to say anything about this only because nobody's asked. And this has been a week of people asking questions that nobody (laughs) 
am. Um, the idea of masculine feminine is actually pronounced. The idea of masculine and feminine is actually pronounced in form, is actually pronounced in form more than in spirit, more than in spirit. A spirit actually has no gender. A spirit actually has no gender. It's not that it is neutral. It is not that it is neutral. It is actually inclusive. It is actually inclusive of all things, of all things. When you lower in vibration and strata, when you lower in vibration and strata, indeed, when you take form, indeed, when you take form, you are choosing to learn. You are choosing to learn in the vehicle, in the vehicle that you have claimed that you have claimed what it means, man, but what it means to be a man or a woman or a woman has actually changed, has actually changed throughout the millennium, throughout the millennium, and as you continue, and as you continue, continue to unmask, it will continue to unmask beyond the deliberate ways, beyond the deliberate ways that you have codified form, that you have codified form, in fact, once you understand, in fact, once you understand that form truly is malleable to thought, that form truly is malleable to thought, many things that you once thought were firm, many things that you once thought were firm or intractable or intractable will be changed, will be changed, period. And the same period. So I want to send a lot of gratitude out to everybody who shops at Onnit through onnit.com slash Aubrey. Of course, to collect your 10% off everything at any time, but also because it supports the podcast and helps support the team that delivers this podcast to you. So when you go there, you're going to see the stuff that I'm most interested in, any new stuff we have, and also if there's any sale that's going on. And right now, if you're listening to this podcast, fresh out the oven, we got a sale going on, which is up to 50% off a bunch of dope stuff. So definitely check that out. You'll probably find your favorites on there. Shroom Tech Immune, Shroom Tech Sport, New Mood, Total Strength, Strombone, Mineral Electrolytes, all the cooking oils, Total Hemp. Then we got some clothes. We got our bars. We have all kinds of things in there. So definitely check it out if this is fresh. And of course, check it out anytime. And we absolutely appreciate that and appreciate the support of the podcast and all of our sponsors, especially on it. Thanks, fam. So I, if I'm understanding really, then in spirit, we represent all the, all the polarities. The monad has no polarity itself. So it, it has no masculine, it has no feminine. So the truth of who we are is actually inclusive of both the masculine and feminine construct. Now, as we articulate into form, Regardless of genitals, I mean, a man can be representing the divine feminine and a woman can be representing the divine masculine, but is there kind of a, a bias, I guess you could say, towards a proclivity towards one of these types of constructs that people have? I hear it's historical bias, more than anything else, more than anything else, more than everything, but you've all been everything in that and that's when you dismantle, when you articulate in a higher way, when you articulate in a higher way to become the realization, to become the realized self, the realized self, the monad or the Christ itself, the monad or the Christ itself, an expression in expression while maintaining body, while maintaining body does not exclude the other sex, does not exclude the other sex, make you a mystical man, make you a mystical man, it makes you a being, it makes you a being, you're moving towards being, you are moving towards being with on the emblemizations, beyond the emblemizations codifications, codification of what these things have meant, of what these things have meant, historical precedent. So in answer to your question, they're talking about historical precedent um, more than anything else, more than that there was a reason for that that was accurate. I hear that was accurate or true. So as, as souls, you know, choose an incarnated form, you know, for example, like I'm, I'm in the belief and understanding that 
Aubrey as a soul has incarnated many times before, as the guides have said, they've often incarnated and taken bodies. Would I have a bias and a proclivity towards incarnating as masculine because of my inherent nature? Or is it just kind of like, what is the next lesson to learn? That's what I get. It depends on what you wish to learn, what the benefit will be of the embodiment of the embodiment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful way to look at it, which kind of circles back to what we were talking about before, which is we get so entrenched in this idea of identity and how important that is. Oh, I'm a man. I'm a woman. I'm this race. I'm that sex. I'm that you know this sexual orientation. When really we're just choosing different paths that are going to allow us the greatest opportunity to learn the lessons that our soul really wants to learn. Yeah, I think so. And I think probably, you know, (laughs) I mean, I can imagine sort of screaming, you know, why do I want to do this? You know, but it's the best thing. I have a friend, um, Natalie Sudman, who wrote a wonderful book called The Application of Impossible Things. She was an archaeologist that was on government assignment in Iraq, and she was blown up by a roadside bomb and had one of those big experiences, you know. And she talks about standing over her body with her guides, deciding how, how much she should get herself fixed and how much she should leave it in <laughs> to learn through all these really interesting things. And, you know, from my perspective, I'm going, oh, boy, I didn't want to come and learn these lessons. <laughs> it's a lot easier for me to incarnate, you know, in, I don't know, maybe a healthy family, you know, with, with a lot of, lots of things I can think of <laughs> um, that I didn't choose. But, you know, this is who's here now and who's learning through these experiences. And I don't know that you would be who you are without what you came through, nor would I or anybody else. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, when I look back at my life, I know that wisdom enough to have no regrets for anything that's happened. And granted, I've been incredibly blessed overall. You know, but even the things from car accidents to different traumas that I've experienced, you see the blessing in that. And so really the lesson is to have that greater acceptance. And then my only thing that I would, change would just be my enjoyment of whatever my lot was my choice my choice to actually be present accept enjoy and appreciate whatever the whatever the classroom curriculum that i'm currently going through you know you're really good with that but you've always been i think an advocate for pleasure you know yeah (laughs) it's true and i was really new into this stuff and i was in my 26 or something i went to a I went to somebody's meditation group, you know, and they did this guided meditation where you had to, to see your path unfold before you. And everybody went around and said what they saw. And people were saying, the rainbows are out and the birds are singing, I'm going up this hill. And it came to me and I was like scaling the witch's mountain from the Wizard of Oz, you know, like <laughs> hands and feet and a pickaxe. And also very proud of the fact that it was hard because that meant it meant something. And as I... As I get older, I'm increasing my capacity for joy. I mean, it's the gift of being informed, you know? It doesn't have to be. I think, you know, this old paradigm of sort of going to the altar on, on broken glass is, is, is done. I don't think we need it. But I do think, and I actually always do say this, that none of this is necessarily comfortable, you know? The, the process of growth and outgrowing who you think you are, who you should have been, or what it means to be, all of that stuff is challenging, you know, at a personal level. And now that the collective is going through this stuff, certainly at a collective level as well. Yeah. 
what is the you know it, it makes me kind of i've often pondered this as well when you start to understand that the soul is constantly conspiring with your small self with other people's selves with the world at large is conspiring to bring you the opportunity to learn so what is the what is the elbow room what is the what is the actual scope of the choice as we think it is you know because we think that we're deciding all of these things but really perhaps our soul is putting us in positions where we learn so where is the what is the actual scope and frame in which we are as an identity construct choosing like what is what is our choice it's an interesting question i don't know i'll try to answer it then i'll let them pipe in if that's mm-hmm. okay because the guides do say we have free will and that's our gift that we get to choose and even in the work that they do they require choice of the student you know if you want this you can have it but you have to say yes to it because it's kind of like if i'm going to choose to get on the roller coaster i may understand that i may lose my lunch you know, when we start going down too fast, but I'm making the choice to sit through the experience. I could have said no, perhaps, you know, the life that I'm living now is not what I planned on at all. I wasn't somebody who, I was raised sort of an atheist. I didn't really believe in this stuff. And I still, you know, don't understand it, but I do know it's true on a very foundational level. So did I choose this? Was it chosen for me? The guides talk about this odd thing. They call it the braiding of the will. And they say, you know, there's this paradigm in in spiritual teachings, thy will not mine be done, which can be the refusal of the will of the personality self. Like that must be bad because I desire, because I want. And what the guides talk about, which is a bit different, is is this idea of of unification. And they say, you know, the the divine will, the higher will, and the small self's will can braid. And then it becomes, you know, thy will and mine are one. But as that happens, they say the will at the personality level is actually assumed by the higher. It it merges with the higher. So you're not operating anymore at this level of polarity. So I'm, I'm sure I said that all wrong, almost right. They're saying almost right, we wish to correct. We wish to correct on two points. On two points, will is a gift of the divine, yes. Will is a gift of the divine, yes. Your soul has purpose, yes. Your soul has purpose, yes. But you may choose not to fulfill a soul's purpose. But you may choose not to fulfill a soul's purpose. You will do it in another lifetime. You will do it in another lifetime. It's not that doesn't invalidate the learning that the soul would bring you, that the soul would bring you through any experience, through any experience. In other words, it in other words, you may choose to end a marriage. You may choose to end a marriage, learn what it's like to live without it, learn what it is like to live without it, choose to remain, choose to remain and learn those lessons there and learn those lessons there in a higher way. In a higher way, everything is in perfection. Everything is in perfection, but you don't have the ability, but you don't have the ability for this level of perception, for this level of perception, and you will not, and you will not until you align beyond the idea of form, until you align beyond the idea of form, and that this experience here and that this experience here in the body in the body in a collective room to be informed in a collective agreement to be informed is simply a vast school is simply a vast school where everybody is encouraged where everybody is encouraged to realize who they may truly be who they may truly be at the cost of what once was at the cost of what once was period in the same period yeah i remember uh reading some about the braiding of the wills and i think that's a a beautiful way to articulate how this works it's it's difficult to we like to have definite lines 
you know, where we like carve this out. Well, this is my choice and this is the soul's choice. And it's de- but it's really so blended. You know, it's really more of a gradient where things are influencing and we have the ability to resist or accept or move or choose. And, and maybe there's certain things that are purely the, the small self's choice, like vanilla or chocolate. When you go to the ice cream shop, I mean, soul probably doesn't have any vested interest in that. So that maybe that is entirely our choice, but maybe it's also driven by a craving that we have for, <laughs> or some kind of patterning that we have. So it gets all very difficult, but just to understand that we don't have to have these definite boundaries. And, and that's just, again, our, our, our desire to have an understanding of things that's binary that's black or white when really everything is a confluence i mean i you know when we talk about this i mean i i I think we've talked about this before you know but you know my coming into this stuff wasn't because i thought it would be nice to get spiritual i didn't know what a spiritual life was or that one could have one why one would want them i wasn't a seeker at all you're a seeker you know you studied philosophy this is part of of how you showed up I showed up, you know, in, 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 you know, bottoming out in a hotel in St. Paul, Minnesota, you know, reading the Bible that the Gideon left in the drawer, you know, and it's a <laughs> crisis. And I didn't believe in anything, but I was in a crisis that night. And I knew it. And I said it. And when I look back at my life and, you know, the trajectory that I was on, which was fairly self-destructive, but in a really kind of sexy fashionable way you know at the time I was you know in interview magazine and I was getting produced or you know in New York and London and I was it was it all looked great from the outside but what I experienced in many ways and it came by my request and that's the key to this one I said help and something happened I heard a voice three days later and I went whoa it was the first voice and I listened to it, and I had the choice to listen to it. There are other times earlier in my life when I had that same voice. When I think back about how hard it must have been to get anything through me because I was so dense and frightened energetically, what it must have taken to get a message through in those days must have been enormous. And there were other times when I didn't listen. And boy, did I pay hard choices. You know, I. I went through a bunch of pain when I said, well, I understand what I'm hearing, but it's not what I want. And so I learned through those things as well. Those experiences were incredibly valuable for me. Could I have lived without them? Yes, I think I could have, and perhaps had a different trajectory. But I understand that free will is honored. You know, the whole teaching of the guides, which really does seem to be about the realization, you know, they call it the monad, sometimes they call it the Christed self, sometimes they call it the, the, the eternal self, that aspect of us that truly knows, they say that seeks to express itself as who and what we are, does come at the cost of the old, which is what I think should be based on my, you know, on my experience based on the world I grew up in, what it means to be a guy, what it means to be my age, what it means to be a success. All of these ideas get challenged in some ways. But I also suspect that will is still present. You know, I get to show up. There are things that I do that I say, well, I'm being willful. Frankly, I'm just lazy and I have bad habits. <laughs> my that's my will expressing itself in ways that are not of benefit to me. If I were to take the time and listen, 
you know, or act on what I truly know to be true, I'd maybe be having a different experience in some areas of my life. Mm. You know, here, and this is just me, you know, I mean, you know, we, we've hung out and, you know, I'm a bit shy socially. I'm okay when I'm in a role, but, you know, you invite me to a party, I'll lurk in the background someplace. <laughs> it's just who I've been. And this funny experience that I'm having here on Maui, really funny, because I didn't choose this, or maybe I did. I, I bought the plane ticket. I ended up here. I just said yes to somebody I have who said, you know, there's a place you can stay. But the experience I'm beginning to have through saying yes to a lot of things I normally would not have said yes to are opening me so wide that I can't even describe it. And to feel sort of so held in this right now is not my normal state of operating. I tend to operate with some caution, you know, and I'm, I worry too much. So I'm having this other experience of simply saying yes and saying yes without an agenda of what should be because my agenda went out the window in March. You know, I moved into this new apartment and I never, I've not spent a night in my new apartment in New York. I moved there. <laughs> During, during the shutdown, you know, people move things with, you know, hazmat <laughs> stuff on. <laughs> here, you know, I'm going, what the hell happened? How did this all happen? But they were lecturing, the guides lecture a lot, and they're doing this other book now, you know, and they were starting to talk about saying yes, like the cosmic yes, the cosmic yes to God. And maybe God is all things, and what that really brings us to. And it's, they say... And it was an interesting teaching, and I'm sure I'm not going to get it right, but they basically said, you're all so busy trying to get what you think you should have or what you want. And when you move into sort of the cosmic yes, the great yes to source, then it can all be present because you're saying yes to what's inclusive of those things. You're not saying, I need this the way I think I should have it. You're saying yes to the source of all things so that you can be provided for. It's about moving into a level of congruence, I expect, with, with the divine beyond the mandates of what should be, you know. And that's yeah. the, where I'm at right now. I don't know if I'll hang out here much longer, but it's <laughs> for the moment. One of the ways the guides teach a lot about, you know, how that we can affect the world and how that we can kind of look things is through frequency you know i think it's why they use constantly the idea of octave it's this idea of frequency even sometimes they'll sing a tone or they'll express something in tone and it seems like part of the process that we're going through the elevation to the upper room could be articulated as a, a an elevation in our own frequency a frequency of greater adherence to love and this kind of tone that we're putting out it's pretty clear to see how that affects from like a local cause and effect level like you're in this positive vibration you around somebody else their mood is going to increase perhaps through mirror neurons or some materialist reductionist explanation as to why but there also seems to be some energetic metaphysical but what i'm what i'm curious about is how much this affects perhaps uploads that frequency to the collective or change the changes the collective song when we raise our frequency how important is that for the whole collective well, it's the essence of what they're teaching, and it's very right. They say, you know, one of you wakes up, you wake up a thousand more by nature of your presence, and that means how you're operating in vibration. You know, the guides talk about the upper room as a level of consciousness. You can call it Christ mind is how they describe it. And they say when you, when you operate at this level, you become the doorway or the bridge or the portal to the higher by nature of being. 
they talk about the kingdom and they say the kingdom is the presence of the divine that may be known as all things, all things, not what I like, what I think is pretty, what I think is acceptable, but all things, the divine is all things. And they say, you know, the one who operates at this level of perception actually calls it into being by nature of vibration. So the divine as you claims the divine in all things into the escalation of vibration that brings it to its true nature. In other words, you're not denying God, you're perceiving God, and consequently, its presence is known. Now, they say this happens because they've done a lot of work with this, and a lot of this work has been very public in front of, you know, lots and lots of people. And they work with this thing called the echo, you know, and they use this claim, you know, the claims, and we've done these before, I know who I am in truth, I know what I am in truth, I know how I serve in truth which they are saying all are is about re-articulation, the re-knowing of self as the divine self and the manifestation of that, the what. And when they begin to work with the what, it gets really interesting. I know what you are in truth. They would put people, say, 12 feet apart from each other and have one claim the inherent divine as what, as form in the other. The person feels the energy when it comes, but the person who's sending the energy, who's making the claim, begins to feel the residual affect of it, which comes in like as a rolling wave of energy back. It's like sonar or the ring of a bell. It's fascinating. So they say, when you're operating at this level, when you're claiming the inherent what, the divine what is what you see, the vibration is actually calling the energy into being back to you. It's all about co-resonance, all of it. So they often say things like, you know, we sing your song for you so that you may learn the words. And the words, I don't think, are just the invocations or the attunements that they do through language. It's really about the tone that you hold and, and what your experience is. I don't know that it's about being visible. I don't think you have to be visible. I think, you know how, I'll say this, you know, it's an interesting thing. I went through a period where I was reading for, for rockers and, you know, big stadium players, you know, and I, because I'm, I don't know who anybody is. So I read for this one guy, it was like this metallic guy, I think. And I read for this guy, he was a really nice guy and I'm reading for him, but I tuned into him and he got so big energetically. His energy field was so big that he could fill a, he could fill a stadium and he did. And I understood what that must be like to be able to essentially, I almost want to say, make love to thousands of people at once through doing what you love. It was, it was mm. an amazing thing to feel by proxy. But I think at this level, we're all doing this. You know, it isn't just bless the, bless the pretty flower. It really is walking into, I don't know, uh, a stadium and claiming the inherent divinity of everybody there because that's the truth of who they are. You're claiming the truth. You're, the gods say you can't make anything holy. It already is. But you can deny the divinity in anything, and mostly we do. And they say, consequently, we're operating in a world that's in shadow when the light that's really present is so much brighter. And we'll, you know, And that's what we're dealing with now. I think the light is here. And it's turning over some of the rocks and the creepy crawlies are being seen. <laughs> None of it's fun or pleasant, but I think it's part of this process 
of rearticulation. I don't think, you know, the guides have often said, you know, if you have a body buried in the basement, it's going to stink up the whole house, you know? And I think we have these things personally, we have them culturally, we have them as a species. Yeah. It's a collective weeding of the garden, which is one another metaphor they use, which is just weeding the garden. We do that individually by exposing those things that we're ashamed about, you know, being vulnerable to people and allowing them to see into us and, and uh, you know, weed the garden of all of these hidden, dark, murky rocks that we have. And it seems like as it's as we can individually do that now that's happening in the collective maybe not with the most grace in the in all the ways which is (laughs) normal you know these things are kind of these things are kind of bumpy but i think for those of us who understand that process within ourselves it doesn't help to shame and punish and villainize any aspect or any part of our past which we see so often with this person's canceled and this person it's all it's all this kind of shame and attack and punishment model which is in, in just creating more shame and more protection and more keeping more things in the dark whereas if we can acknowledge that acknowledge that those choices may have ramifications and legal ramifications or physical things that need to be attended to but nonetheless like it's love that's going to actually weed the garden yeah i mean i think we're accountable to our acts and what you're saying is absolutely true no nobody gets healed by that nothing gets healed by that that's not you know it's 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 reaffirming what we say we don't want you know, things are brought to the light to be lifted, not to be ridiculed or shamed or condemned. I think that that's the, that becomes our opportunity. I don't know that we're there yet. You know, I was, you know, I mean, I, you know, I'm sensitive. I was, you know, the chubby gay kid, you know, and it was the last one picked for, you know, whatever, you know, you know, I was the last who I was. So I know what it's like to feel as an outsider. It's been very much a part of my experience on this, in this life. But I have to say what it's granted me, if nothing else, is a level of empathy that I maybe needed this time around. You know, I really know. And I'm sensitive, I suspect, to cruelty in whatever form it takes. It's the one thing that I have a very hard time with is intentional cruelty, whether it's being, you know, done with noble intentions. I don't think, I think we always have to look back and come back to what our intentions are. You know, why are we saying what we're saying? Why are we doing what we're doing? It becomes too convenient at a certain point because the guides say this, and it's very, very, very true. Who you damn and what you damn damns you back. It perpetuates the cycle. It doesn't transform it. You know, to recognize the inherent divinity and the one that you can't stand is actually, I suspect, how one really grows spiritually. And I do believe that when one is perceived that way by another, one is also changed. You know, when somebody, I remember watching this once, it was on TV. It must have been like Oprah. I don't know what it was, but it was some clip of some guy who was standing up in court speaking to the man who had been convicted and was about to serve like a life sentence for killing his child, his adult child, I think it was. And this man was an African-American man. He was an older man. And he stood there and he said, I forgive you to this man. I forgive you. And the man who was about to serve a life sentence collapsed sobbing, collapsed. I mean, it was, it was an astonishing moment of, of redemption. I have to say, of the power of witness. 
forgiveness and the power of forgiveness. And, you know, the guides talk about forgiveness a lot. And they say, you know, you're, it's not about letting people off the hook. It's about freeing yourselves. Again, who you put in darkness puts you in that darkness with it. It becomes a tether or a tie. In, I think it was Book of Mastery, there's that meditation they do where they say, the one person you ever never want to see again is in the cave that you enter. And your job now is to walk them back out into the light. It's because you're the one that put them there. You know, who you put in darkness calls you there. So I'll leave it, leave it at that. You know, our, our mutual friend and brother, Ted Decker, he wrote in his, uh, in his book, 49th Mystic, Rise of the Mystics, there was a, a quote from Jesus's teachings that says, um, the way you love the least of us, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, the way you love the least of us is the way that you love the divine, right? So, and I, I was meditating on that, and I recognize that, of course, applies to exactly, literally what you were just talking about, because those that you damn puts you in that same part, which is then damning the divine, because what you damn in another is also damning the divine, as we're all divine. But I also recognize that there's a particular insidious aspect of the aspects of ourself that we damn the parts of us that we condemn which then is it's a double it's a double thing because not only are we condemning a part but we're being the condemner so we're like suffering a, the double <laughs> the double-edged aspect of this by damning ourselves i agree completely you know the book that the book that's coming out next alchemy is about that in a lot of ways you know and i you know this that was the eighth book that was dedicated through me and it was the hardest book I've ever had to show up for. It was actually brutal. I found out I was channeling at the Esalen Institute, and I didn't know whether they were going to start a book or not. And I got, um, I got, a, I got an email the third day I was there in the morning that um, a friend of mine from my academic life had taken his life. And I was stunned. It was the last person I thought, somebody who had really been a rock for me in my, in my life and my career. And I was devastated, and I sat down before this class who gathered for the channeling, and the guides began the book that day when I was so out of sorts that I don't even know if I remember a word that they said. And the entire book was dictated when I was really being confronted with parts of myself that I did not want anything to do with at all, you know? And they were all being moved when that book was completed, I initially thought this book should be published with a warning because it's going to really move stuff. And when I was here on Maui, I did the audio book here in a studio here because the studio in New York was still shut down and I happened to be here. And I sat for the first time and read the book aloud, you know, into the mic. And it's such a loving book and it's not in the least bit scary. Not mm -hmm. in the least bit, but it really is about just what you're talking about, these parts of ourselves that we, you know, God, that God say this, and this is not a new teaching. This isn't 12-step stuff. It's in most mysticism, I expect, but they say, you know, God is all things or God is nothing. We really don't get to have it both ways. And, you know, if I want to put myself in darkness through my inability to accept or forgive or to release myself from some belief or trauma or memory. You know, I can have those experiences. Um, I don't suggest that this is easy. You know, I don't think this is magic wand stuff. None of this work that comes through me is spiritual bypassing or what's called that because the guides again say nothing gets transformed until it's seen or at least accepted as being. And then it can yeah. challenge. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, this has been a, this has been beautiful. I wonder if uh, if the guys would be willing to bring us through a kind of a some kind of final message and maybe uh, some kind of affirmation or raising of our own vibration and tone before we uh, wrap this thing up. Let me see. Speak. They're saying we would like to speak, we'd like to have authorization, and we would like to have authorization to do as we wish with this instruction, to do as we wish with this instruction. We're asking both of us. We are asking both of you for this because this will be a brief teaching, because this will be a brief teaching on rearticulation, on rearticulation of what it means to become the true self, and what it means to become the true self. If you truly wish this path, if you truly wish this path, you will be taught in love, you will be taught in love, it will be taught thoroughly, and you will be taught thoroughly, but this will come at a cost, but this will come at a cost of the idea, and it is simply the idea of who you are, of who you are, and what is meant to be you, and what it has meant to be. You're not limiting yourself. You are not limiting the self, limiting the self through this choice, through this choice, you're agreeing to a higher choice. You are agreeing to a higher choice. Now, if you wish to say these words with us, now, if you wish to say these words with us, we will instruct you. We will instruct you in their meaning, in their meaning. I know who I am in truth. I know who I am in truth. You may say this. You may say this. I know what I am in truth. I know what I am in truth. You may say this. You may say this. I know how I serve in truth. I know how I serve in truth. You may say this. You may say this. Who you are is the divine self. Who you are is the divine self. What you are is the manifestation of this. How you serve is how you express as it. Now you may say this if you wish. Now you may say this if you wish. I am free. 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 The claim of freedom to be beyond the small self's limitations, to be beyond the small self's limitations and beyond the idea of who one should be, and be beyond the idea of who one should be, will claim you in a higher way, will claim you in a higher way. We call it the upper room. We call it the upper room if you wish to vibrate at this level. If you wish to vibrate at this level, you may become accustomed to it. You may become accustomed to it, but to introduce you to it now, but to introduce you to it now, for it may be welcomed again, for it may be welcomed again, is to make this claim, is to make this claim. I am in the upper room. I am in the upper room. You may say this. You may say this. I am in the upper room. Now you may say this, and this is the articulation of the divine self, and this is the articulation of the divine self with monad or the monad in expression, in expression. I have come, I have come, I have come. I have come, I have come, I have come, I have come. They're saying blessings to each of you. The announcement has been made. The announcement has been made. Be prepared. Be prepared to make some choices, to make some choices, to invigorate, to invigorate your potential, your potential in its unfoldment, in its unfoldment. Thank you, each good night. So they're saying thank you, each and good night. So, Paul, thank you. Paul, I love you as a man, as just who you are. And it's been so beautiful to have this friendship, you know, between us and also the the teachings and the guidance has been absolutely invaluable in my life and so many others that I've introduced this work to and I've talked to about it's just you're such a gift to to my life and to the world at large and I'm just so unbelievably grateful uh for you and and all the teachings that come through you. Every thank you. I love you too. Thank you. <laughs> you're the best. All right, thank you so much everybody. I appreciate you tuning in and we'll see you next week. 
Thanks everybody for tuning in to myself and Paul Selig. He's got a new book out called Alchemy. I highly recommend you get the audiobook. It cuts out all the mumbles. It's just him reading it. And there's something about the vibration of what he's expressing when you actually hear it in your ears. It makes a tangible difference. So I encourage you guys to check that out. And of course, the book is available in print as well. Thank you so much, everybody. I'll see you next week.